0: Once again, good morning. I think you're absolutely terrific looking myself, (laughs) but who am I to query? So I look out and I say, oh, what a bunch. Uh, No, I think you're great. Mind you, I'm (laughs) short-sighted, so I probably can't see you. (laughs) We're going to turn to God's word again, thank God, and we're going to pray first of all for his blessing. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you you have not left us in ignorance and darkness, but have given us the light of your word. And we pray now, Heavenly Father, that your Holy Spirit will teach us this morning the truth of your word and help us to believe it and obey it for Christ our Saviour's sake. Amen. 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 Now, um, you 've got an outline there, the first question it consists of a group of questions. The first question is what 's your name? please don't answer it 's okay, uh, but as long as you know, that 's the important thing. Uh, mostly, our names are given to us, aren 't they? I had no I had no say over what my name would be. It was my dear mother. she named my elder brother, Ralph, after her dentist, so I was very lucky to get away with Peter and uh, meaning of course, rock. Uh, and uh, or Pebble and uh, Peter Frederick, I never liked Frederick uh, until later on when I discovered it was a very royal name, Peter Frederick Jensen, terribly unimpressive sort of name, but it was given to me, it was given to me, your name is no doubt given to you. Likewise, uh, my name has meaning, and uh, I'm not sure about your names, but I presume many of us uh, these days don't have a meaning to our name, but uh, mostly... Uh, names have meanings. Rock, for example, comes from the New Testament. If you have the name George, which is unlikely, but it's possible. There's a George here. If so, uh, it means farmer, uh, and uh, God is described as George. So you're very um, classy, very classy name. Uh, your name has a purpose. Why do you have a name? Well, there are purposes in the name, aren't they? To identify you. Say, this is George. This is Georgina. This is that person to identify you, uh, to act as self-identity. I am Peter. That's who I am. And uh, it gives you that self. Occasionally, of course, you don't want to self-identify. I was pulled up by a policeman a little while ago, and I did anything to tell him my name was John Smith. Uh, But unfortunately, he wanted to see my license. And uh, hmm. Uh, going through a red light with a policeman right behind you is not a good idea. Uh, I discovered. Uh, we identify, people identify you, and we self identify. I heard a story during the week of a man who'd committed a great crime in the United States of America. He fled, he came to Australia, and the first thing he did was change his name. And it wasn't until he's long since dead, he'd become a respectable citizen in Australia. Uh, the people discovered that he was the villain who'd done this murder and then escaped from jail in the United States. Uh, but he got away with it because he changed his name. If you like, he changed his identity. He changed his identity. Now, that idea of identity and identification, who I am, has actually become very significant, particularly uh, in this generation. Uh, it is especially the 20-year-olds uh, uh, the and below and in age who are asking themselves, just, well, who am I? My body is the wrong shape. I am simply not the person I want to be. I look in the mirror and I'm ashamed of who I am. My body is the wrong shape. Or even, and this is becoming extraordinary, this sort of wave that we have here, I'm the wrong sex. Uh, I'm I'm a male caught in a female body, I'm a female caught in a male body, and I have to change my sex. Other people, you see, their voices are louder than our own voices. Other people are judging us, and their word is stronger than mine. Uh, I guess the strongest word in in my life, humanly speaking, was my mother's. And uh, my mother was very, very positive about her three sons. Stupid, I know, but if you knew that. But uh, she was very positive. And she certainly said to us, for example, if you can't be a leader, at least look like a leader. She assumed her boys would be leaders. Uh, and that gave me something, gave us all, gave us a sense of self-worth. Unfortunately, with the breakdown of marriage and all sorts of other things happening, um, People are more relying on their peers for the judgment as to who they are, and uh, their peers can often give a negative judgment as to who you are. And so there's this great crisis, indeed, uh, you could call it that, I think, of other people judging me, and their word is the strong word rather than my word or even my mother's word. I can see it in their eyes. They're judging me. They, They think I'm no good. I can see it in their attitude towards me, and it creates deep anxiety, which is one of the marks uh, of uh, the generation, mostly in this room, a deep anxiety centred on the question of who am I? What's your name? Well, it's deeper than uh, just simply what's your name. It's who are you? Who are you? And so the question comes up, indeed, who am I? Now, in chapter 2, verses 17 to 20 of the passage that we've just been uh, looking at, uh, the apostle is raising this issue, but he's raising it with a group of people who are pretty sure about who they were. It was not a problem for the Jewish people. I don't think self-anxiety and introspection, oh, what do they think of me, was much of a problem for the people that he was speaking to. On the contrary, they knew who they were, and we proud of who they were. Uh, if you look uh, at verse 17, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and you boast of God, you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law. If you're convinced that you're a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children. Because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. What a list of positives. And uh, people had this very positive view who belonged uh, particularly to the elite of the Jewish nation. There were people in the Jewish nation who felt otherwise. Uh, But he's speaking here to to the elite, the people who really rejoiced in their Jewishness because of all the superior things which it gave them. By the way, we need to be careful here because um, uh, our our language here uh, may suggest that Jews are are not very good people and not very nice people and that sort of thing. Uh, I hope if you have any Jewish friends, you rejoice in your Jewish friends. And uh, I grew up, actually I grew up in a part of Sydney, which was in those days about 50% Jewish. I thought I was a minority. Uh, Then I discovered they were. Uh, but uh, it, was, uh, it was very wonderful indeed, and we need to be careful here. We're not talking about Jews and saying all Jews are this, that, or the other. Paul himself was Jewish, and always remember the Lord Jesus was Jewish, okay? So we esteem and honour uh, our Jewish friends. Uh, however, one of them, namely Paul, was able to point out the problems, and he was doing so so that he could see that we have problems. Okay, so bear that in mind. So this is not a problem uh, for uh, uh, self-identity. It was not a problem for the uh, at least the upper-class Jewish people of Paul's day. They were a minority. They were a minority, of course, in the world. Uh, but uh, that meant they clung together. They were very, to this day, we have Jewish people. Uh, we don't have... Philistines. We don't have, uh, you know, Meneans or something like that, but we have Jewish people. Why? Because they're so cling together. So, it's such a powerful such a powerful thing. Uh, they're a minority. They clung together, but they were proud of their identity. Other people despised them, but they were proud of their identity. Uh, you see, why? Because they were the elect ones of God. They were God's chosen people, and he told them so. Well, that's... How would you like to be? God's a bit like getting up on speech day at school, isn't it? And getting the prizes ducks. You are the one. And everyone applauds, some with hate in their hearts, of course, but nonetheless, you are the one. And they were the ducks of the human race. They were the one, not ducks and quack quack. I mean, they were the, <laughs> they were the ducks, the number one, of the human race elected by God. Wow. Wow. It was God's opinion of them that they were so wonderful. Uh, they were elect to the true God, and therefore, look, at verse uh, 17, they boasted in God. They boasted in God. Um, uh, they were one big family. They gained their identity from their group. Uh, they didn't matter what the outsider thought of them. Uh, the group thought they were great. And you know what it is to have a group, to belong to a group, and to be sustained and uh, honored by the group, it is very, very powerful. Uh, they were safe on the day of judgment. they were safe because they had the law, and indeed, not only were they safe, they were the teachers of the law. they were superior they they were able to instruct the blind a light for those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of the truth of little children. Uh, They had the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. They had it all. Now, I can do the same. I'm so glad that I've been asked this morning To wear my part of my regalia. You may have noticed. The collar. You can't wear the collar. Unless you're ordained. But also. And notice that he'd come to this. What do you think? My purple shirt. Now purple's the sign of royalty. (laughs) Purple is the sign of. And you see, you may not know this, you may not be aware of it, you're merely Presbyterians, or at least you attend a (laughs) Presbyterian church, but I'm an Anglican, and I, you may not realise this, but I am a bishop. And bishops get to wear the purple, the sign of royalty, nobility. And so I can, and he can't. (laughs) He's a mere Presbyterian, and he's not a bishop. And furthermore, you may not be aware of this, but I think I ought to tell you just in case, I was not merely a bishop, I was an archbishop. And I'm still allowed to call myself an archbishop in certain circumstances, the Archbishop of Sydney. Invited to the Governor's House, in part of the year when the Law Society holds its annual function, the Archbishop of Sydney is invited to be there, honoured, by the crowd, so to speak. Uh, now, if you looked at my personal life, why, why, do I, why am I like this? Well, because of my achievements, frankly. I was the, uh, excuse me, mentioning this, but um, I was the, uh, the dux of our theological college, equal, but that, that doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> the winner of the Hay Sharp Prize, uh, Bachelor of Divinity with Honours from London University, Master of Arts with Honours from Sydney University, where I used to lecture as well. Uh, and then, of course, I went off to uh, Oxford University. You may have heard of it, uh, where I got a Doctor of Philosophy and hanging in my... Uh, in fact, I'm sorry, I didn't bring it today. Hanging in my... In my uh, I, I have the robes, the doctoral robes of the University of Oxford. Thank you very much. Not the University of Sydney or... Cambridge or anywhere else, Oxford. Thank you. So um, I'm a pretty important person, <laughs> and you ought to give me uh, due honour as being a very important person. I guess you could uh, you could have a little little bits of honour yourself. You might have achievements in your bag of achievements Uh, certainly something else you've done is you've joined a church Uh, you weren't jewish but you have joined the church who are now the people of god Uh, you've joined a christian family so to speak other people believe the same thing as you believe Uh, doesn't this help you with your identity crisis who are you you're a child of god you have joined the church People here smile at you instead of frowning at you. Maybe it's because you've had all these achievements that you can answer the question, who am I? Well, the apostle goes on with this question. Yes, but who are you? And that's the one we need to deal with. Because you will have noticed, I'm sure, that he gives this great list of Jewish accomplishments. And remember, he was one of them. He's not having a go at Jews as such. In fact, the Jews were the best. He's already said that the non-Jews are a complete waste of time. Their behavior is absolutely appalling and they are fair to face the day of judgment. He's chosen the best of people, to illustrate his point here, And he says "Is the Jews. And he said, you then, look at verse 21, you then who teach others, don't you teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written about the Jews in their own book, the Old Testament, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles. Notice God's name there, by the way, for God has a name too. And his name is dishonored. That's awful, isn't it? When your name gets dishonored, when your reputation is shot to pieces, in other words, well, God's reputation is smashed because of the behaviour of his people. Thank you, Jews. Or instead of looking at the Jews and throwing stones at them, thank you, me. Yes, you're a law keeper, but you reduce the law to keep to so you can keep it and still have pride in yourself for keeping it. You don't recognise that the law is so all embracing. You shall love the Lord your God with all your all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You you bring it down so that it fits you. You accept the verdict of others on your goodness. Oh, you're such a good person without proper self-examination, perhaps you were born in a Christian family and you just assume that you are now a Christian because you were born in a Christian family. You gain social pleasure from belonging to your church. But have you ever given your heart to God? There's a church mentioned in the book of Revelation called the Laodicean Church, which was made up of people who were half-hearted, who are there but not really there. And Jesus says to them, Revelation 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, the door of the church, the door of your heart. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And the question is, has the Lord Jesus gained admittance to your heart? It's all very well you, you can put on the show, but has he gained admittance to your heart? Yes, others may look at you and say, "What a fine Christian!" You've no idea that you know the, the record they have of attending beach missions and going on summer schools and and doing all sorts of things that make them to be a Christian. Yes, they are, you know, and their parents are wonderful. But have you ever admitted the Lord Jesus to your heart? In other words has he ever taken control of you from within rather than merely conformity to the outward? And he says, even the Jewish people, even the Jewish people were in great danger because of the way in which they outwardly fulfilled the law, but they did not let the Lord into their hearts or at least... Many of them didn't. You see, do you belong to church and therefore you become a Christian? Or do you become a Christian and therefore you belong to the church? Is it merely your presence here that makes you a Christian? Well, there are many who come to church who are not Christians. The question is, do you belong to Jesus? Have you allowed him into your heart? Have you admitted him to your heart? Do you belong to him? And if so, then you truly belong to the church, not the other way around. And so, who are you? And who says who you are? There's a, there's a great passage, by the way, in uh, Philippians chapter 3, where Paul is making the same point, but he uses a different illustration, so to speak. In fact, he's using an illustration about himself. And uh, this is what he says. He gives... Uh, you remember how I gave my list of achievements? Remember that? What was it again? The Sharp Prize. Doesn't it sound wonderful? The Haysharp Prize. Yes, I was one of those. Only won each year, except for the man who equaled me. But uh, lectured at Sydney University. I didn't mention that I failed Sydney University. and was kicked out several times. But I did lecture there in the end. I got them. Well, Paul says, listen, he says, uh, chapter 3, if someone thinks they have reason for confidence because they are bishops, no, he doesn't say that. He says, because they have reason to put their confidence in the flesh, in other words, human accomplishments, I have more. I'm better than you, whoever you are. I was circumcised. Now, circumcision was a little operation performed on males uh, eight days into their lives, uh, and uh, it was a sign of the covenant. God said, uh, these people are in covenant with me, and as a result, their males will be circumcised. This didn't happen in other Uh, societies in the day it was a sign of the covenant between God and his people Paul says well I was circumcised at the right time I was circumcised on the eighth day uh, of the people of Israel I was had the right family in fact not just that of the tribe of Benjamin pretty good part of the right family I lived in uh, Vaucluse shall we say Uh, a Hebrew of Hebrews a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was not just one of them. I was one of them, top, top of them, the ducks, if you like. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. He was so proud of being a Pharisee, a good. The Pharisees were the people who took the law most seriously. Uh, as for zeal, I persecuted the church. Oh yes, this man has what I would call runs on the board. Uh, and he says, as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. When you measured me according to my version of the law, I committed no sin. That's because he brought the law down to his size. But this is what he says then: but whatever gains were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. These things have just been stripped off him now. He himself is now persecuted. I consider them, listen, he uses a very, very strong word here which doesn't quite come out in the translation, but I won't repeat what he says. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Do you really think? Do you imagine for a moment that I am proud of being a bishop? It's a lot of nonsense. It's, a, it's an important role that somebody had to do and they found some idiot to do it. It's, and in order to make him feel that they should do it, they get, allow him to get dressed up and to strut the stage and to be important. It's garbage. It's absolute nonsense when it comes to what really matters. And what really matters is Jesus. Knowing Jesus, my Lord, that's the only thing you need to know about me. I am a sinner. Paul says he was the worst of sinners, so I'll say, okay, well, I'm near him. I, too, am a sinner. I have nothing to boast of. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to his cross I cling. That's all I've got. Don't fool yourself with your human achievements. By all means, have them. That's okay. I have a few myself. But when it comes to important matters, they are garbage compared to knowing Christ Jesus, your Lord, and that's what he's saying for us here. Okay, so who says who you are? Well, of course, God says who you are. And look at verses 25 to 29. Um, He takes one of the elements of the law, circumcision, one of the elements of the law, and uses that as his illustration. Circumcision, he says, it has value. If you observe the law, in other words, the outward acts are valuable in themselves, that's fine. But they're only valuable if what they're pointing to is kept. Uh, We could say baptism. You could say, uh, I was baptised. I was baptised before I knew anything. I was baptised as an infant. uh, And uh, does that make me a Christian? Well, do I think baptism is important? Yes, I do, as a matter of fact. Does it make me a Christian automatically? No, it doesn't. I have to live out that baptism. That I received. Later on, we're receiving the Lord's Supper. If you receive the Lord's Supper, does that mean you're in the family? No, only if your heart is right with the Lord Jesus. That's what he's saying here. Circumcision has value, the Lord's Supper has great value in telling us about Jesus and his death on the cross, but only if you are right with Jesus. If you, uh, if you then break the law, you become as though you had not been circumcised, he says. An outward show does nothing. What it points to and what circumcision points to, and the Jewish people knew this because it was in their Bible, is the need for repentance. Now I want you to look up if you've got your Bible there. I want you to look up Deuteronomy chapter 10, Deuteronomy chapter 10. So it wasn't that Paul is saying something here which uh, he made up, no, he was already in the Bible, if they'd listened to it. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verses 12 to 16. What does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commandments and decrees? To the Lord our God, he says, um, belong uh, uh, the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Uh, Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them and has chosen you, their descendants, above all the nations. Circumcision, circumcise, sorry, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Circumcise your hearts. Every Christian is circumcised. Not in the outward sense. The need for circumcision as a religious ritual is no longer here because the law has now turned into what it was always, repentance. If you have not repented, then you're not a Christian. And repentance isn't just remorse or regret isn't just remorse or regret, isn't just saying, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I, I, Oh dear, I've really let, let you down. It's not just remorse or regret. Repentance, listen, repentance is a profound turn. In a sense, it's a, it's a once it's the It's the moment of when you turn from yourself, with all its weaknesses and foolishnesses, or the self that boasts itself, turn away from self and turn to the Lord Jesus. Repentance is that moment when you say, I am no longer living for myself. And only you can do this, and it has to be within your own heart. I am no longer living for myself. This is the moment when you submit to the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And you do it once, and then you do it every day. And so this passage is saying to you, Have you repented? Oh, I know you're here this morning. That's great. I know you may well have been born in a great family. That's terrific. I know you may know the Bible inside out. You may be an expert in the Bible. You may be a graduate of a theological college. Wonderful. You may be a a bishop in the Anglican Church. That's all right. But none none of them will get you anywhere. It's repentance towards the Lord Jesus Christ and the commitment of yourself to him which matters. Circumcision was very important indeed. But look at verse 27. The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law, the law speaks first and foremost of our repentance towards God, will condemn you even though you have the written code and circumcision, you are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew, i.e. one of God's people, who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one, in other words, one of God's people, who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people. Such a relief to know that, isn't it? It's not other people who are going to judge you. It's God. And I'll tell you why it's such a relief, because he has said, if you submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and put your trust and confidence in him who died for you and has taken away your sins, if you are trusting in Jesus, then God smiles at you. And his smile is worth all the frowns of all the people around you. Is God smiling at you? because you have repented and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for you on the cross, as we remember, in the Lord's Supper this morning. Well, who are you? I don't know. In fact, I met a number of you last week, and I can't remember anyone's names. I'm terribly sorry. I remember all about you. Don't worry. About your names have gone. Isn't that ridiculous? That's just old age, I guess. Anyhow, I'm sorry, my name's Peter, I know that, Christine tells me every morning so I remember it, okay, that's just a joke. Um, who are you? Well, you're all sorts of things, and good, that's fine, you're a graduate too, that's excellent, you are an engineer, you are a vet, you are this, that or the other, yes, you're a profession, yes, you are all sorts of things, or you may feel I'm a nothing, I don't know, but you know, whether, whether your life is filled with accomplishments, and you are very proud, and mum and dad are so pleased with you, or well, whether your life is filled with failure and disaster, you haven't passed things, and in fact you've done the wrong things, and people look upon you and sneer. It doesn't matter. What really matters is what God thinks of you. And he says to you, if you repent, if you let the Lord Jesus into your heart, if he is your one who is in charge, then little one, you are my child. I am your father and your life is now safe in my keeping. Who are you? Dear God and loving Heavenly Father, we pray that every one of us here may know who we are, may know the truth about ourselves. We pray, Heavenly Father, as sometimes we despair and become so broken about these things that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will circumcise our hearts, help us to turn to you in repentance and faith and find that in serving Jesus... We have everything. And we pray for these mercies in his precious name. Amen.